You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the topic of the hour right now. This is going to be entitled, Use Your Own Senses in Judging ISIS and Syria. We've got lots of information, disinformation about what's going on in Syria. The Russians are there now. There's all kinds of speculation on funding, and we want to talk about that. And Chuck Carlson recently joined a panel of three people at a local church in Denver, and we have a story about that, and we'll link that. And there's an excellent report by Dr. Rob Prince, who was a lecturer in international studies at Denver University, and he has a very excellent report on that. And we want to talk about these aspects of can you use your own judgment in figuring out what's going on there with all this disinformation rolling around all over the place and with all kinds of wild speculation. Chuck, why don't you uh, give us a little discussion about what you did at this event. Chuck is also just finishing an article that will have the same title and we'll link to that article also. Chuck? The reason we're spending so much time on this ISIL or ISIS question, and by the way, it has three names, ISIS, I-S-I-S, ISIL, uh, I-S-I-L, and it's also called Daesh in Syria, Daesh being uh, their term for ISIL. Now, what we have here is a mystery army that's carrying out mystery missions. And uh, the cloak of secrecy around it is really incredible. The efforts that are uh, going into hiding who ISIL is and who funds ISIL are are really quite amazing. And they involve our own government. And they involve plenty of other governments, from the EU to the UK. Essentially, the effort is made to make it appear that ISIL sprouted from nothing, sort of a freelance terrorist army that came out of nowhere. Some people seem to admit that it used to be associated with Al-Qaeda. There's all kinds of stories about it. But there are a couple of issues that are avoided scrupulously by our own government. And they're so careful to avoid these issues that it now becomes apparent that the issues are very important. The first one of these issues is who funds ISIL? Where does it get the money to carry on a full-scale war against the biggest and most powerful military force in the history of the world, the United States government? How does ISIL manage to do that? Obviously, that takes some pretty tall excuses. And we're going to talk about a couple of the ruses that are used to try to hide ISIL. The other thing that is hidden very carefully is who ISIL's allies in the Middle East really are. We're supposed to think it has no allies. It's so nasty and mean that no one would think of going near it. 
that it's a special form of Islam that carries Islam to the ultimate extremes, those of, of course, beheading people publicly in such a way as to create enemies and to create absolute moral hatred of them, and of course, fear. So here you have uh, an organization that's come from nowhere, seems to have no support whatsoever, but it has all kinds of money, and it's recruiting mercenaries at costs that we don't know what they are from uh, really all over the world, from half a dozen continents, all the way from Australia to New York City, to Denver, Colorado, by the way. Two schoolgirls were caught trying to join ISIL. They were 16-year-olds. And uh, they actually were caught at an airport, and maybe it was Turkey. But anyway, they were on their way to join ISIL. The illusion is created that ISIL is self-funded. And so this is the first issue we want to talk about, how ISIL is funded and what that tells us. And unfortunately, we cannot get good information from the news because the news is, uh, the news is either in on this or they're buying the line that is promoted by the United States government and uh, ISIL's greatest and most terrible enemies. Of course, we've all been told that we have to stop ISIL because it is so pernicious that it will be on our shores before we know it. It is spreading uh, virally, and uh, we're supposed to be actually frightened of this organization. So we're going to talk a little bit more about how you see through uh, some of these uh, these ruses that were and, and who is perhaps behind them. Uh, in the end, uh, we're, we're probably going to, at least I'm going to conclude that the United States government has a big part in uh, creating ISIL, and secondly, that the uh, Republic of Saudi Arabia is very important in ISIL in some way, uh, having to do with funding it and arming it. Um, those are uh, just conclusions uh, of of my own, from my own observations, but they're shared by a lot of people. And in our uh, in our meeting that we had uh, a week ago at a at a, at a church uh, that wanted to know, they were concerned about the refugees and they wanted to know these things. Uh, Robert Prince uh, uh, from the Corbell School of International Relations, very prestigious. He's just retired from there. Uh, he stated uh, in support of my comments that uh, that Saudi Arabia is the party that is almost certainly behind ISIL. And the suggestion is, of course, that Saudi Arabia is the United States' best ally. So, uh, so I'll stop for a moment for whatever questions there are, and then we'll go on and talk about how we, why, how we deduce this and, uh, and why, why this seems logical. Well, Chuck, I might want to I want to point out here that uh, there has been we know for a fact a plan to take out, according to retired General Wesley Clark, he was the four-star U.S. Army General, Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, who um, learned in 2007 that we were going to take out seven uh, Islamic countries, including Syria. So there obviously was planning in our our part, and we have an excellent uh, uh, podcast uh, that you may want to listen to uh, 
about this planning nature. It actually is about Sudan. It's entitled The Clandestine U.S. War Against Muslim Sudan for Its Oil. And I think you'll find that very interesting and is a good backup to this program. Okay. Um, uh, Chuck, I have a question. Yes. Uh, you know, obviously there isn't going to be a paper trail because if things are hidden so well, but is there a weapons trail that you can you can follow back with the maybe captured ISIS or ISIL weapons, you know, where they came from and how, how they got to them? I, I think there is a lot of that that happened in Iraq, where the U.S. left behind massive stockpiles of all kinds of things like Hummers. But, uh, again, there's been a, a big effort to cover this up. And uh, there, was a, there was a big question that was going around in the press a couple of weeks ago. Pictures showed the ISIL gangs in their black hoodies or black uh, face covers and their eyes uh, looking through and their weapons riding in brand-new Toyota pickups. And they were all the same. There were dozens of these, maybe hundreds of these pickups. Somebody deduced how many hundreds of pickups there were and they wondered how they got them, and they tried to trace them back by going to the manufacturer, but that, of course, didn't work. The manufacturer didn't know who paid for the pickups for ISIL. That kind of tracing didn't work. So I think the Toyota pickups are probably a cover to uh, lead people away from thinking the U.S. is too much involved in this financing. And, of course, Saudi Arabia uh, is the biggest purchaser of United States weapons in the world. They buy more than anybody but our government itself. They buy more than we give to Israel every year. So Saudi Arabia has enormous stockpiles of U.S. weapons that they have no use for. That's part of the oils for dollar deal somehow. And uh, that money is circulated back through our defense industry to keep our defense industry, to keep Lockheed happy. So when we get the new F-35s, it's already uh, in the cards that Saudi Arabia will probably be buying some of those with some of their oil money. There's plenty of efforts made to try to make it look like uh, Saudi Arabia is a free agent and is not beholding to the United States or vice versa. But the, the relationship is just about as close as, as it can be, I do think. Saudi Arabia sells oil only for dollars. They recently issued bonds denominated in U.S. dollars. Saudi Arabia and the U.S. Uh, obviously are pretty friendly. And quite a few of the things that Israel does, Saudi Arabia also does in a, in a more quiet way. Now, well, let's just launch on a little further. The big myth, of course, that's been used to explain ISIL from the very beginning is that they earn their own way as they go. They raid the land, they rob banks, they take hostages and sell them, they peddle slaves, they do almost everything except milk, milking goats and selling curds. So ISIL... We've been told all along that they are so wise and so clever that they're able to self-fund themselves. Originally, the first thing that we heard about, about ISIL was that they had captured oil properties all over Iraq and that they had occupied those properties and they were selling the product that they actually produced from oil fields. So here you have the idea that they have actually taken over oil fields and are producing and selling and somehow black marketing the oil. Now, no one ever explained how they went about black marketing oil from an oil field in which they are, uh, you know, surrounded by the Iraqis. But one of the explanations that made a whole lot of sense about who ISIL is, 
comes from uh, observations that have been made by Iraqis who have pointed out that a lot of Saddam Hussein's old Ba'ath Party cronies who were disaffected when the U.S. won the war and set up the new government, they were left out. They were, they were, they were more than left out. They were ejected and uh, with great hard feelings. So these old generals and colonels and Saddam Hussein Ba'ath Party agents have been thought to be the primary officers who have started out to run ISIL. And though that is uh, subjective conjecture, it sounds pretty logical because if you go back and read what the U.S. did when they took over Iraq, they basically ejected everybody who had anything to do with the formal government uh, right down to ejecting them basically if they were members of the Ba'ath Party, which everybody had to be. So if you want to picture who ISIL is, it's probably at the root of it a number of former Saddam Hussein military people who have been uh, sidelined and have joined and are participating in it. The notion that ISIL operates oil fields has been rekindled. This idea was kind of dropped for a while, and it's so fraught with uh, mouse holes through it that uh, you really can't imagine it functioning if you think about it. But uh, lately, in the prestigious London Financial Times, they published a series of articles about ISIL's operation of petroleum refineries and producing oil wells in Syria near the Iraqi border. There's a province up that way in the northern part near the border with Iraq where there is apparently some production and there are refineries. So now the story that's being sold is that ISIL generates $10 million a day or some such figure, selling oil on the black market, even though the price of oil is way down, from these refineries in northern Iraq. And this, I think, leaves a big gaping hole in ISIL's armor and the people who are promoting it because uh, everybody knows that the United States is now operating air raids in Iraq, and everyone knows that we have uh, military bases all around the region. Probably there's no place that's more than a couple of hours flying time from an American military base anywhere in the Middle East. One time we said there were 30 military bases surrounding Iran. So there's plenty of U.S. military bases in the area and uh, drone flights. And the U.S., of course, is proclaimed that they are bombing ISIL now. So obviously if ISIL was, uh, this, uh, this Financial Times story, which I allude to in the article, tells us that the trucks come in in queues that are miles long and line up and sit there until they can, are filled with uh, petroleum products, gasoline, I guess, and diesel, or whatever they supposedly produce, and then they chug down this road again back into Iraq. And, uh, of course, we know that this can't be true because if it were true and if the United States really means what they say, they would be bombing these roads. Back in uh, 1991, we all remember the infamous Highway of Death, which ran from Kuwait City uh, all the way to one of the southern cities in Iraq. And it ended up having something like 4,000 burned out vehicles along it. Because when the Iraqi army tried to retreat from Kuwait City, the U.S. blocked off both ends of the road and simply destroyed everything on the road, including the people. 
There were some 75,000 Iraqis that when they left Kuwait City, and we don't know how many there were when they finally got on. The point is that a, a road full of petroleum-bearing trucks heading north would be the most delicious target on the face of the earth. So either the United States doesn't mean it when they say they're bombing ISIL, in other words, it's, it's a put-up story, or the story about the petroleum being shipped out is, is untrue, or both are untrue. We don't know. But we do know it's a con job to hide how ISIL is supposed to be getting its money. Actually, the more logical idea of where ISIL really does get its money to hire 5,000 to 10,000 mercenaries uh, and to pay them and ship them around and so on is likely through surrogates of the United States acting through Saudi Arabia. This has been said by many people other than Professor Rob Prince, but Rob Prince has said this and so have many others who are thinking pretty logically. So the idea here it really is that ISIL is a fictitious operation that is carrying out these activities and is allowed to be there. It's sort of the devil's advocate created by perhaps our own government. The suggestion of the CIA has been made and we've printed papers on that. These are the facts that I talk about when I talked about ISIL and who finances it, where it gets its supplies, where it gets its money, and who the people are in it. So it goes back to your Pogo story, Tom. We have met the enemy and they is us. Somehow or another, ISIL is being used as a weapon to help carry out this program we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, and that uh, General John Wesley Clark, who said that uh, he had seen war plans to uh, pull down seven countries, well, it probably didn't have ISIL in the plan at that time, but this seems to be part of the war plan to continue the next step in pulling down first Syria, and then, of course, Iran is uh, still left on the list at this time. Okay, Chuck. What is Assad's greatest sin? Is it uh, attacking his own people or not having a central bank aligned with the uh, Rothschilds? Well, as I said in the, in the paper that I just wrote, I don't know if we should let that become an issue, but I think it is important. Assad is simply a second-generation family dictator, like they have in other countries in the Middle East very often. Iran had that at one time. I don't know about Lebanon. Well, for instance... Uh, Sudan, which we recently talked about, it has a very long-running president who keeps getting reelected. Uh, I think for a time the royal family, the al-Bashar family, didn't have elections. Recently they've gone to having elections. But I would say that we, we've had friends who told us that they don't like the Assad government, they shouldn't be there. That may or may not be so. They certainly are a strong-arm government, like Egypt had but his greatest sin is being the dictator, being the boss. I guess, I guess they're really that's what it boils down to. Well, Chuck, uh, on, on the other hand, you talked about uh, Saudi Arabia, and they have a, a royal family that are, in essence, dictators. And as you pointed right. out, they commit as many beheadings or almost as many as ISIS because of the same form of Wahhabism of Islam that's peculiar to Saudi Arabia and uh, ISIS. So there's yeah. some commonality there. 
Yeah, the, uh, the Assad government is probably very delicate and tender-hearted compared to the royal families and their treatment of people. They're getting ready to crucify a 17-year-old for uh, some resistance act he, uh, he made against the government. In, in the Saudi-style execution, he will be beheaded first and then crucified. Uh, so they do the Romans one better, or one more generous, perhaps. But they don't crucify people, nor do they behead them in Syria. Uh, there is a strong military police force there that's reported to uh, Assad's. But I don't, I don't know that I can really tell you how good or bad they are. And, and I guess I feel that it's not the place we belong, because it's not our position to pass judgment on. And I know you're not doing that, but uh, it's not our purpose to pass judgment on who should be their government. Generally, he's disliked because I guess some people don't like the guy who's there. And we have a lot of that in our own country. <laughs> One interesting anecdote to me anyway is that this friend who is a Muslim who lived there for 15 years, he's an American, did not like Assad for a number of reasons, but yet he was able to travel freely throughout the country. He related how he had been uh, over a wide area, so there was freedom of movement there. Certainly the uh, political opposition was controlled by uh, Assad. So I think Chuck has really gotten the point right that it's not our business. We should let the Syrians decide themselves. And here we have all these foreign interests that are in Syria dividing the country up and there's millions of refugees that are internal and external to uh, Syria. So it's a terrible humanitarian situation. Yes, and these refugees were not there during Assad's reign. And furthermore, we've been told that the Syrian government took a large number of refugees from Israel-Palestine when they were being run out of Palestine, and those people are still there living in Syria, though they're very disadvantaged. And some of them are probably among the refugees who are trying to walk to Europe now. But uh, the Assad government, uh, the Assad dictatorship, or whatever you want to call it, did take Arab refugees from Palestine in large numbers. These camps are very large in Syria. So... I think Craig's wondering if we know anything that's particularly bad about Assad, and, and, and I really don't uh, beyond that. And, of course, our media has tried and our government has tried to lay the blame of the attack of the chemical weapons uh, on the government, and there's indication that it actually was not. This was two years ago. So there has been a lot of you know, negative against Assad, the, the government there. But people are fighting for their country, I think, it's one of the reasons, and more the reason we should be out of the Middle East, actually, and stop our meddling. A recent Frontline film that was shown twice in the last couple of weeks, and it can be looked up on Frontline, it's about a photographer, writer, who very recently was in Syria, and uh, he talked to many, many people, and most of them absolutely supported Assad, they, he even talked to one uh, member of his military who had abrogated, who'd uh, run out on the Assad government and joined the opposition called the Free uh, Syrian Army, I think it's called. But he actually had then redefaulted and come back and received clemency and was back working in the Assad military. So it's very controversial. 
about how popular Assad is, but it's not controversial that the U.S. is out to get rid of him. That is a given, and it's been admitted. So I think that's really what we're coming down to now. Hopefully we can bring this point out some way that somehow it looks very much like the smoking gun leads right back to creation by the United States government, and that governments like Saudi Arabia probably would not have been able to pull this off for themselves, but by the bungling and mishandling, probably intentionally, of the Iraqi new government, the United States essentially drove a large body of disaffected military people into this revolutionary movement that's become ISIL. And uh, it looks like that looks too well manipulated not to have been planned. It looks like somebody could have thought of that. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.